Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers G1 cartoon series. I am Jeremy Graves and as per usual, to help me through this journey of wondrous whimsy and perhaps on this occasion some downright terrible episodes to talk about, it is the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how are you doing today? I am I am doing well, yes. I'm here as your support animal for this podcast. Oh, I'm going to need it on one of these, mate, I'll tell you. <laughs> this week. <laughs> this week is something. But um, before we go any further, though, folks, quick little mention that if you want to check us out, or rather follow us on Instagram and or Twitter, you can find our account under the name Starscreams Pod. If you want to reach out to us by email just to give some thoughts, or who knows, send us abuse, I don't know, take your pick, you can do so at starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. And the episodes that we will be talking about today, and for that matter, in every single podcast that we have recorded and will be recording, are dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is because on that channel, you can legitimately watch all of Transformers Generation 1. The episodes in question for this week being episodes 33 through 36 of Season 2, with the following titles. Auto Bop, Prime Target, The Girl Who Loved Power Glide, and Triple Takeover. Andy, I've just alluded to it that we're gonna, we've got some stuff to talk about this week. If you had to try and sum up in one phrase the crop of episodes that we've got this week, what would you say? Eccentric. If I had to do it in one word, like it's kind of this. This is actually quite an interesting kind of snapshot of season two. Like, we're from, like we've had a few batches of episodes where you can kind of like take the temperature for what this series does. Like, particularly compared to season one, and this is kind of quite a good one of those. Like, I mean, for starters, like Autobop. I, I have a new conspiracy theory, and that's that somebody who is a writer for this show is watching this podcast, and they also have a time machine, and so every time we mention a character and say, ah, well, they're never going to come back, they deliberately <laughs> go back in time, or plant some kind of seed in somebody's mind to say, do another episode with that character, because that's like three times that's happened now, um, but, but there's that. Um, Girl Who Loved Power Glide, I feel like I kind of owe that episode an apology. I feel like I've ragged on it multiple times in the lead up to this. But you know what? There, There is some stuff that is pretty good about that episode that we can get into. Um, and then, yeah, there's two episodes of absolute kind of insanity in various degrees. Like Prime Target is, is very much just goes full bonkers in a way that I kind of appreciate, to be fair, in much the same way as the the King Arthur's Court episode. It's like, if you're going to go for it, then go for it. And then Triple Takeover, which I feel like this is our sort of, one of our like podcast cliche phrases at this point of, this is a really good idea if only they'd executed it better. Because it's a really great idea that I would love to see like explored in a, in a more sort of serious and kind of like, not self-contained way, but contained slightly differently, but it kind of goes in a different direction that is maybe not, to its to its benefit, with, with some exceptions. Again, there are, there are some things in there that that really I kind of appreciated, but as a whole, ah, not not what I wanted that episode to do after what I saw it was doing. Yeah, that triple takeover episode, which we will get onto soon, everybody. Th- my my sort of anecdote, and this was harkening back to something that you've brought up on a previous podcast, is imagining like a drunk writer's room on the Friday, except this time 
they actually were a bit drunk. <laughs> because I feel that feel that that sums up the uh, the craziness that we have uh, that we have before our eyes when watching that. Yeah, yeah, it it almost feels like it was kind of an idea that got thrown around like a few different people. It's almost it reminded me, and sometimes you find this with like various like cartoons and long running series where you have episodes that feel like those stories you wrote as a kid, where you'd like you'd get to write a paragraph, then you'd cover it up and hand it over to the next person, and they'd have to write a paragraph of a story, and then you'd have like a, a, a great time at the end just seeing what like random stuff this story has ended up being, or like you know somebody just gets to see the final line of it or something it kind of feels a bit like one of those but it was you know written by professionals (laughs) but before we get to the first episode that we're going to talk about today everybody i feel it's time we do a little bit of continuity from how our last podcast ended everyone now andy i mentioned when we were talking about the episode the gambler on the last podcast that it was actually the 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 properly envisioned version of a story that actually first took place in the series Challenge of the Gobots for the episode's name Game World, I think it was that we said on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I jokingly said, if you're going to watch it, we expect a full report on the next podcast. You actually went and watched it, so I am now I'm now morbidly curious. I guess how was it? I'll give you a couple of minutes to wax lyrical as you see fit. But how was that? And how is it now going to that? after watching so much Transformers recently. Yeah, I mean, it's it was, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, like, I found myself at a loose end with, you know, 20-odd minutes to kill of an evening. And I was like, I wonder if this is on the internet anywhere. So, like, unlike these Transformers episodes, this is not officially available anywhere. It's not even on any of the kind of, like, normal video sites, basically. Um, but, uh, you know, such, such are the things I will do for this podcast. Um, and so, yeah, I checked out the, the Games World episode. And for starters... I, I've seen some gay bots before, and I remember it being pretty terrible animation-wise. This episode seemed reasonably well animated, like it was kind of better looking than I expected it to be, and actually quite well animated in places, it felt. Um, but in terms of the episode itself, you can absolutely see why the writer was kind of like disappointed and wanted to write a proper version of his story, because it is very much like The Gambler, but imagine it with all of the interesting bits removed. Like, it's literally, all of the gambling is gone, for starters. Like, that was clearly, like, a no-go. And, you know, any of the other machinations were kind of taken out of it. So it just ends up as kind of the, um, God, what are they? The the, the Guardians and, I forget what the baddies and gaybots are called already again. Um, But um, those guys, um, they, they basically, you know, they all get kidnapped by, you know, a scientist who is not called Bosch, but it was something, I think it was like Bort or something. It was something quite <laughs> quite, 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 quite close to Bosch. Um, and they all just basically get kind of kidnapped and enslaved and made to have a fight. And it's just, it is really kind of dull. And, you know, again, much as this episode was okay in terms of animation, its actual, like, fight scenes weren't particularly great. So it didn't really have all, even that going for it. And yeah, it's just like, it's just a super like, you know, margarine of that gambler episode where they've just taken all the good stuff out of it. And it felt 
pretty flat in comparison. Uh, and it just felt like a very generic episode of that kind of cartoon. So yeah, it was it was absolutely sort of what I expected of just like yeah, what what would the gambler look like if you took all the bits that were interesting out of it? And it's like yeah, it looks like that Gabor's episode. Oh, well, there we go. Well, thank you, thank you for doing the hard work for us there, and having <laughs> yeah. to having to suffer through GoBots. <laughs> yeah, like ho- hopefully we don't come across any more tidbits of like other random cartoons that episodes were based off of, because then you know. I I'll mean, it's funny you mention that because there <laughs> oh, might no. be a note or two. <laughs> I have to say tonight. Oh no, I've set I've set a precedent now. Well, on that note, everybody, let's move on to our first episode of Transformers for the day. That being Season 2, Episode 33, Auto Bop. We start with a busy line of people apparently queuing for an establishment named Dancertron. We see a couple of youths not being all that impressed by this and immediately set up their own breakdancing performance and begin attracting the attention of said queue. Before long, though... A punk, quite literally, comes forward and says that they are working for Dancertron and they need to stop. Before literally pulling the rug out from under them where they were dancing and saying, this is Dancertron's turf. After the youths are less than impressed by this, the punk then has backup arrive. One youth says, time to pull a Michael Jackson. The other responds with, what? And the first one then says to finish off the thought, let's beat it. I won't lie, Andy, I did laugh at that line. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this this whole, like, opening to this episode, the only note I wrote is, this is the most 1980s thing that has ever happened. <laughs> like, everything in the start of this, just, like, it's the hot new disco, and, like, all all of the, the outfits everybody is wearing, the whole setup, climaxing, concluding with that Michael Jackson joke, is all just like, oh man, yeah, this was definitely made in the mid-80s, because this is, this, is, this is it, this is where we're at. The youths are running away, and a chase is on. Suddenly, one of them mentions that he wished that the ghetto blaster he was holding and still somehow running away with was actually a blaster. Or what was actually Blaster, I should say, specifically. Because it turns out, Andy, as you were mentioning a few moments ago, it was Raoul from the previous Season 2 episode, Make Tracks. I like the fact he's back. I'm happy about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talked about him at the time as as a kind of... This guy should be a recurring character because he's kind of useful um and so yeah like I, I didn't really clock it until that point where you know it, it was made clear and it's just like oh man this this guy's back great like i'm i'm, I'm here for more raul like well, welcome welcome back to the fold also we're pointing out that his two friends don't believe that he knows the autobots and i think one of them makes an offhanded comment of you know the autobots like i know prince <laughs> yeah again very <laughs> 80s reference appreciated Now, I'm going to make this note now, because I will be mentioning their names later. Raoul's friends, Andy, they have interesting names. Poplock and Rocksteady. (laughs) I would not have guessed that. I mean, hey, if you're you're breakdancing, I mean, I'm assuming that those aren't like the names on their birth certificates, but who knows? I mean, it was the 80s. It was a different time. I mean, you know, in the world of Ninja Turtles slash Hero Turtles, if you were here in the UK, Rocksteady was one of the duo of Rocksteady and Bebop, but I can assure you, this wasn't that Rocksteady. <laughs> no, no, I, I did have that. I did have that moment as well. I was just like, ah, once again, Transformers did it first. The youths end up using a biffer bin to kind of ride about a little bit before they crash and they are surrounded. Then out of nowhere, 
Trax and Blaster appear. We're getting literal continuity from a previous episode. It's pretty cool. We get a firefight between the two sides because, for some reason, all the punks have got laser guns, which Trax is even surprised by the level of firepower they have, before Blaster uses an Electro Scrambler to deactivate all their weapons. We then get an awkward reunion of sorts between Raoul and Trax, with Raoul saying that he had things under control. But discussion quickly turns to why the heck this happened, which is the mystery. Even more so because Trax then pointed out that one of the people firing guns at them was a man in a business suit, alongside a bunch of punks. What's up with that, is my thought. Yeah, I, I, I do. And that that's actually... There's some stuff I really like about this episode, and that is one of the things that... This is an episode that kind of keeps its powder dry for a little while. It doesn't go straight into, like, here's the thing. like Because you have some episodes of the show where you get to see what the Decepticons are up to before you cut to the Autobots. And it's always like, okay, well, we know what they're doing. We know where their secret base is this week, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then you get other episodes where you still see the Autobots first, but they figure out straight away, like, oh, the Decepticons are behind this. This is a really nice, interesting one that... You don't know whether this is anything to do with the Decepticons, although obviously you're watching the Transformers, it's going to be. Um, but also, like, you have no real idea what's going on or how any of this stuff is interconnected. And I really like that as an actual genuine little moment of mystery. Is like, why is this mysterious man in a business suit there? Like, you know, and, and that's a, a really nice little kind of seeding of this in a way that this series doesn't normally do. So I, I did appreciate that. It was definitely a nice change from the normal. I completely agree with you. Just that extra level of intrigue. Is it the Decepticons? Which is a thought I probably also had when we get onto it, talking about the next episode as well. Because, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get onto that in a few minutes. Let's keep focusing on this one for a second. So it turns out that Blaster and Trax were sent to New York City, because that's where we are based on the previous episode, Make Tracks to monitor Decepticon activity, and they've got a feeling the Dancertron nightclub has something to do with it. We then cut to inside the nightclub, where Trax and Blaster have somehow got in with zero issue whatsoever and can fit in there like a glove. I won't dwell on that, we'll just move on. And to say they really stick out like a sore thumb is an understatement. That said, Blaster is particularly enjoying all the tunes on the dance floor. Blaster is then approached by a lady and dances with her, Meanwhile, Trax is asked where he got his threads from, i.e. all his uh, all his like armour, to which he just responds with, Cybertron, of course! <laughs> but then, Trax starts looking at the clientele of the club, and notices a few things being a bit odd. Men in business suits, even a woman in a dressing gown with curlers in her hair. This is quite the um, unique, rowdy establishment, you could say. We then go to another room, and we hear the familiar dulcet tones of Starscream, saying that despite all his surveillance, two Autobots have just waltzed into his club. Soundwave is also with him, and says that they need to be terminated, but Starscream says it's too risky, and that he has those kids to deal with first, meaning Raoul and co. We then cut to a train that Raoul, Poplock, and Rocksteady are riding, are riding on, excuse me, when the driver suddenly looks like he becomes possessed by something, and then just starts increasing speed, something fierce, and the train is out of control with loads of people on board, including them. We then see Trax and Blaster discussing what they saw at the club while walking down a street, with the following dialogue exchange. Didn't you spot anything unusual, Blaster says. A disco dolly dancing with a garbage man? A guy of the cover of GQ? 
You don't call that unusual, says Trax. Blaster responds back with, Hey, they like to let weirdos in. Gives the place some atmosphere. I appreciate this line of dialogue from Blaster. They then hear a commotion, and it's, of course, the out-of-control train. Trax utilises his ability to fly to get onto the train tracks, using a grapple hook to allow Blaster to climb aboard, and then when Trax transforms back into his primary robot mode, let's call it, he then tries to use his brakes to be his foot to be a brake of sorts to try and slow down the train. But ultimately, Blaster is able to stop the engine and notices that the control car has been sabotaged and the driver of the train is gone. Trax is convinced the club has got something to do with this. Raul and Trax then head back to the club with Blaster with Blaster. Damn my worst night. Raul and Trax head back to the club. Meanwhile, Blaster takes Poplock and Rocksteady to get some info from Teletran. Now, the final point before we discuss what we've seen, Andy, it's established at this point in the episode, it's around 1am. The reason that is important is because while Trax and Raoul are driving about the place, they notice a building site with all of its lights on, and they go to investigate, and there's a bunch of people in there. Raoul, recognising them all being from the queue at the beginning of the episode at the club, but at that moment, they are spotted, and they have to make haste and fly away because they are attacked. There's a lot of mystery and intrigue going on, Andy, like we've talked about, and I'm really, really liking it. And the fact that, at this point, Starscream and Soundwave are just somehow involved in this, it's just got a lot of mystery and intrigue, and it is really working well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it does build that up incredibly well. And yeah, it's really interesting kind of how it's written because as soon as you see Starscream and Soundwave, you kind of assume you're going to get the typical like expository dialogue of like, ha let's continue to do the nefarious thing that we are doing. But you don't, you get nothing other than like, ah, there's a problem, we need to deal with it. And then, yeah, like, you know, the other events kind of uh, follow on from that. So it's a really very different kind of tone from your typical Transformers episode that makes it feel really refreshing. Um, and on top of that, like, I mean, I was really excited last podcast that I got to use the phrase in medias res. This week, words that I didn't think I'd be able to say on a Transformers podcast. The start of this episode feels really Lynchian. Like, it has a kind of <laughs> David Lynch vibe to it of just, like, all of this weirdness going on in this city in this case that you can't put a finger on but there are just a lot of things that are out of place of just like you know the whole thing at the disco of just these people who would not normally be interacting dancing together the whole thing with the train just kind of everything suddenly goes crazy and it sort of it has this real sort of interesting like weirdness to it as well on top of that intrigue um that kind of makes it fascinating and um, yeah, like I was, I was really into this as sort of a starting point for for an episode, and you know, it was kind of probably one of the closest I've been to like on the edge of my seat for an episode of this show of just like, oh, like what what are we doing here? Like, what's going on? You kind of you start to get a feel for it by this point, but it's done a really good job of like putting the building blocks together for like what's actually happening here and like what is the end goal. So uh, yeah, like kudos to this episode for for doing something a bit different. Meanwhile, we see that Poplock and Rocksteady are seemingly hanging around outside the club. We're to assume at this point that Blaster's gone elsewhere. When they are offered and handed invitations by someone to gain entry inside. They see this as an opportunity to prove themselves to everyone and make for the club. But 
they don't see that they've been spotted by one of the punks from earlier, who we find out is in communication with Starscream, and he tells them to let the punk, he tells the punk to let them be because he has a use for the two youths. Inside the club, they head to the dance floor to become dancing detectives, as they phrase it. But the music is blaring, and we see them on the dance floor, but their movements start to become a bit stilted, let's say, until they just stop moving and then just walk away in a zombie-like state. Back with Blaster. We assume at Spark Plugs NYC Garage from the Make from the Make Tracks episode, never expressly said at this point, Teletran has picked up ultrasound frequencies that could be used as hypnotic controls and suggests that Blaster use his sonic detectors to verify. Off to the club he goes. Trax and Raoul then arrive at the club. Trax literally just throws the bouncer out of the way when he's trying to get entry and calls him a creep in the process. Interesting choice of words. We'll move on. He immediately finds Poplock and Rocksteady and is shocked, quite rightly, to see them there. And they say to follow him, or they say to follow them, excuse me, as they have found something. We get to the entrance of the video lounge where Starscream is waiting to attack. Tracks avoids the attack, but this gives Starscream and Soundwave combined to activate the ultrasound transmission, which immediately has all the clubgoers trying to attack Tracks. He's trying to avoid them for obvious reasons, but can't and ultimately falls from a balcony in the club into the sound system below. Andy, a lot is going on here. The mystery and intrigue is still carrying on. I like the fact that they started kind of sprinkling in the details of the ultrasonic sounds because it makes a lot more sense why they've got the club and the giant speaker system and why there are people just acting weirdly. It does make me wonder how they made that work from the perspective of the train driver, but inherently it does work as a concept. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, I assume, like, the train driver was just, like, a previous denizen of said nightclub and has, you know... It's almost this almost feels like it's like Hypnochip 2.0, um, mm. but with punks basically. <laughs> um, so uh, that that's my assumption is that there's there's some kind of like control mechanism that works because I mean you see you know other stuff that's beyond the confines of of the of the actual nightclub, but yeah, it's it's still you know really strong how it how it builds that up and and even when you get to this point like by the by this juncture, you kind of you know what's going on, but there's still some missing pieces as to why. Um, and you know, the the only other unanswered question is why does this disco only have one song? But you know, <laughs> that's that's another problem entirely, I guess. Sometimes one song is all you need, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is true. I mean, yeah, especially, yeah. When when you've hypnotized your clientele within one song, why why have a B side? I guess it's just like having the repeat button on Spotify or Apple Music or something. Like, take your pick. Yeah, exactly. Inside the video lounge, we see Starscream having a call with Megatron, informing him that he has tracks as prisoner, but also notes that the construction is proceeding as scheduled, quote-unquote. What construction? Hmm, I wonder. Outside, Blaster arrives and Raoul wants to help, but Blaster tells him to stay outside because something in the club is hypnotising people. Raoul's priority, however, is saving his friends. Uh, saving his friend, Trax. Not the other two, because at this point he doesn't know they're in there, but he does name, name drop Trax specifically and runs in anyway. 
Inside, Blaster tracks down the source of the ultrasound, while Poplock and Rocksteady find Raoul at the bar, and they say they'll lead him to tracks. But Raoul's confused as to how the heck they even got in the club in the first place. Then he realises, because he's intelligent, that his friends have likely been hypnotised and uses Andy, of all things I could have imagined, to act as an earplug, a napkin as earplugs. Now, I will say, Andy, speaking as someone who has gone to many concerts in, in many, many years, I can confirm that sometimes the right density of tissue paper can act as a good earplug if you need one. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like Raoul is, is kind of becoming very much like the MacGyver of this series. Like he always, <laughs> manages to, uh, always manages to rustle up some solution with whatever he has to hand. So again, d- doing doing good work in this show, you know, they really should hire him and fire Spike, probably. <laughs> Just, you know, straight swap. <laughs> but Poplock and Rocksteady notice that he has utilised the napkin. I never thought I'd say that as a phrase, but there you go. And begin chasing him. Raoul unintentionally finds tracks tied to the, the giant sound system in the club, almost kind of looking like he's being crucified, because that's the first thing that came to mind, but, you know, so be it. And the music is playing really, really loudly, and seemingly is starting to kind of shake him apart and causing great pain. Raoul tries to help him, but then a bunch of the hypnotised humans come in to stop him, and the napkin earplugs are removed. He's nearly hypnotised, but because he's a really clever human, I'm guessing, he's, he's able to break free of this, finds a bucket of mop water, and just starts splashing his face with it. Which then yeah. brings him back to normal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that th- this feels like the one point in this otherwise immaculately crafted episode where they were kind of like, ah, we need, we need a way to break the hypnosis. Like, what's this? And, and when everybody just vetoed the idea of just like, you know, clicking your fingers or clapping your hands like what about waters like yeah sure that'll that'll do and and here we are and this is further emphasized by the fact he then just starts throwing the bucket of water at poplock and rocksteady and they're they're now confused because they're back to normal one because they're drenched two why the heck are they in the club but raul now knows what to do during all of this, we get a fun sequence where Blaster gets into the video lounge room and notices Soundwave, but not the fact that Starscream was hiding past his sightline at the entrance door. Soundwave says, you are expected. Blaster responds with, Soundwave, you're the one who's been putting out the ultrasound. Soundwave says, correct, my accomplice is behind you leading to Starscream to attack him and we then get a fight between the two that spills onto the dance floor and around the club. Raoul then activates the water sprinkler system again because he's intelligent to which Starscream's reaction is simply what? (laughs) Trax is then freed thanks to some lockpicking skills by Raoul and immediately tries to attack Starscream who predictably runs away. Him and him, Raoul, Poplock, and Rocksteady go after him. While now flying through the air, because at this point Trax is now flying in car mode with the three humans inside, they're losing pace trying to catch up to him. And then Trax uses a smoke flare to cause clouds, to cause basically a rainstorm using his smoke flare. I don't know entirely how that works, Andy, but I'm sure that probably technically works. 
Yeah, certainly within the Transformers universe. Like I'm, I'm trying to, re I can't remember whether that was like a thing that was like a written ability that Trax had, kind of like canonically, or whether this was a kind of like writers desperately finding a solution to a problem kind of thing. Like I feel like that might have been a thing that Trax was capable of, but he's just never used it before. But uh, yeah, like pr proving himself far more versatile than Smokescreen and his like one trick <laughs> pony. I'll, I'll just say. <laughs> And the reason that he has formed this, this cloud burst is to basically nullify the effect of the hypnotization on the humans at the construction yard that we saw earlier. We then get a fun aerial sequence through various buildings on the building site and whatnot, which ultimately Starscream loses due to one of his wings hitting the stanchions of the construction site. Silly Starscream. Meanwhile, Soundwave is still in the club, Meaning, Andy, we got to see a battle between Soundwave and Blaster. Blaster saying, I've been waiting a long time for this, you poor excuse for a sound system. <laughs> Soundwave then responding with, all talk, no shock. Yeah, I've got to admit, when Blaster said that, I was like, actually, now you mention it, me too. Like, why have we not had Soundwave v Blaster up to this point? <laughs> Finally. Right? Now, the battle we get between these two is genuinely really unique, as they're trading Soundwave frequency blasts at each other and just launching one another into walls and tables and all sorts in the process. Soundwave is getting the upper hand, implying that by default, Soundwave is actually stronger than Blaster. But Blaster is able to use part of the club's speaker system to amplify what he is firing out in terms of sound waves and nearly brings the entire club down in the process of doing that, forcing Soundwave to retreat. I'm going to be honest, Andy, I loved that fight so much because it was something so different to what we have seen before and it stood out really, really well. Yeah, yeah, it kind of like follows the rest of this episode in terms of feeling like something a bit different that, yeah, like it's, this feels like an episode that had a lot of care and attention put into its kind of writing and progression, and this was another really good highlight of that where it's not just your typical laser guns, it's like actually making use of those characters you know, unique abilities and, and doing something cool with them. And yeah, like it was animated pretty well, like, you know, seeing them both being thrown around. It had some some smarts to it to, to one-up it. And, you know, we should probably not talk about the Autobot repair bill over the course of this episode, because they do they do wreck some stuff. Uh, but we don't see them rebuilding it this time. So that's, that's going on Optimus Prime's tab, I guess. It's funny you mention that because the episode does conclude with Blaster literally bringing down whatever the heck was being constructed, because we never actually found out, with the amplified Soundwave mod that he has now got. We then go to Sparkplug's garage, Trax and Blaster thank the three humans for their help, and say if there's ever anything that they can do for them, which immediately prompts a reaction from them, highlighting the fact that, ah, uh, you know, we lost our ghetto Blaster and all that commotion. And Blaster knows exactly what this means. We then cut to a breakdance happening in the streets, with Blaster providing the tunes and Trax being a cheerleader, while there are many onlookers admiring the sharp skills on display by what we then find out, Andy, the trio is referred to as the Bop Crew. Yeah, I mean... Maybe they needed to workshop that name a bit more, but, you know, I, I, I sort of, I, I do, it's sort of weird the way, like, Blaster, who's sort of been enjoying the exact same song for the entire episode, so like, oh no, not, not this, it's like, well, change, change your tune with 
every pun intended. And that is the episode, everybody. I- I've got to say, Andy, really, really like this. We've already both highlighted, in particular, the mystery and intrigue element of it. But just as a coherent story, it's really, really strong. It's really intriguing. It's very engaging. It's got a lot of unique battles in it as well. Everything about this is just really, really good and really, really solid. Yeah, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with this one. Like, this was definitely an episode where I'd A, never seen it, and B, I had very low expectations from it. I mean, you know, this this is very much a don't don't judge a book by its cover thing. Like, you know, you see the, the episode title and you think, oh, that's... I, I see what they did there, but, you know, I'm not sure whether I'm going to be in for this. And, yeah, like, it's a surprising kind of delight of an episode that is, is really, really smartly written and paced as well. Because we've had a lot of episodes here where it's like, oh, this is really good, and then it kind of ends badly. Whereas this, you know, it's... Because it's quite self-contained in terms of its scope, it can end things quite quickly without feeling weird. So yeah, really enjoyed it. And also, we didn't make mention of Soundwave's laugh, which was also great in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I, I also think that the actual smaller cast of characters involved overall actually lent itself really well. Yeah, have, having having that kind of tight, you know, like 2v2 in terms of Autobots versus Decepticons actually works really well because, yeah, you don't... And again, you, you don't have that massive firefight at the end. It's a very self-contained, like, you know, Soundwave v Blaster. And it, that's often kind of a lot more interesting than trying to do, you know, oh, now all the Autobots are here or any of any of that kind of stuff. And meanwhile, like, what's Megatron up to? Who knows? He's probably watching more travelogues or, or whatever. Or getting drunk on Energon. Yeah, quite <laughs> quite possibly. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm still curious, like, you know, I, I'm just assuming the building they were making is just, the, like, their next new base in New York. But <laughs> who, can, who can say? Would you like some facts about this episode? Yeah, let's let's do this. So, courtesy of the TF Wiki, this is one of the four pre-movie episodes I've alluded to in past episodes, Andy, that does not feature Optimus Prime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. The episode in general features then-relevant, or slightly past-relevant, depending how you look at it, cultural touchstones, breakdancing, mohawks, spiked clothing, and other outlandish outfits. And the paranoia over subliminal messages hidden in popular music. There's yeah. even a blink and you'll miss it reference to the popular Frankie Says Relax t-shirts that were common at the time, based on the 1983 single Relax by Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, as I said up top, like, the most 80s thing ever, and that is very much, like, the vibe of this episode. Which, again, probably as, as somebody of, of a certain age, like, that just helps to accentuate this episode all the more i suspect and final note for the episode according to writer david wise his inspiration for writing this episode was the wonder woman episode disco devil and evidently he liked the plot so much he would copy it again for the teenage mutant ninja turtles episode corporate raiders from dimension x yeah, I mean, this this does that. That's kind of I think the interesting thing about this episode is like the core conceit of it. It is pretty cliche. Like it's been done a lot in various different cartoons. It's just like the presentation of it here that sort of makes it feel like it's way more interesting because of that like sense of mystery and and so on and so forth. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that he just did the same thing again a few times because why wouldn't you? Quite frankly, like you said, it works as a story just on a baseline level. Sure does. 
So from there, everyone, we go to a really well-written, coherent episode to one which is going to be a ride, to say the least. We now go to episode 34 of season 2, Prime Target. Buckle in, folks, because this is, <laughs> this is going to be a ride. We begin, based on the faux accent, as I've written here, with a Russian fighter pilot inside the jet, flying over a frozen landscape, we'll just assume Antarctica, for lack of description, picking up something on sonar beneath the ice. Suddenly, a harpoon appears from the ice and brings the plane down beneath it, but the pilot able to eject safely. We then cut to a giant castle somewhere in the world, we don't know where, just accept it and move on, belonging to someone we come to find is named... Lord Chum Lee. Not Chun Lee, as in the Street Fighter character, Chum, C H U M Lee. A British man, quite blatantly, because you know all British men are evil in cartoons, who has a collection of various military vehicles inside his castle. And based on dialogue, we hear him being told that an international incident is brewing over what he did. And we then see that that fighter jet that was in the frozen wasteland now being on display on his wall. While his butler, named Dinsmore, is somehow completely missing a cup of tea while pouring it. <laughs> and, but we then hear, I don't know why I had to write that down, but I did. We then hear that Chumley has one more trophy he is after. And it's not a, a massive one, Andy. It's only the freaking head of Optimus Prime he wants. Yeah, I mean, you know... So, so, Reach for the sun and you might hit the moon, or whatever that <laughs> phrase is. <laughs> I mean, I think Dinsmore reaction summed it up when he just said, Oh dear. <laughs> I mean, let, let, let's call this like it is right from the get-go. Like, Dinsmore is like the MVP of this episode, because he's kind of amazing. It's just, I, I, I do love a kind of exasperated sidekick, and he's really good at it. Like, right from the get-go, I mean, there's a great line. I, I think it's like one of the first things he says, where it's like, you know, he he brings up something about the Boer War, and he's just like, yes, I was in it. Which, like, <laughs> immediately, age, immediately, like, you know, age checks him as like 100 years old, and yeah, he still has to be a butt for this dude um, but I like how his his constant thing is just an exasperated like do we have to do this I'm really tired and you know it's in 2022 I very much feel that energy so I, I very <laughs> much appreciate him as a character we then cut to New York City yes again everyone where Trax and Bumblebee are on a supply run at an appliance store I'm just going to move on. But they see a news report on TV highlighting the tension between the Soviets and the US, following the apparent use of a submarine to steal a top-secret Russian jet fighter, quote-unquote, complete with footage of said jet on screen that has caused the Russian mil military to be on full alert status. Andy. I feel the need to point out something, and this is me looking far too much into this. If it's a top-secret Russian jet fighter, why does a US, a US news broadcast have footage of it? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess they were watching this episode of Transformers and they just happened to see the start of it. <laughs> I see. I should have thought about that, yeah. <laughs> Bumblebee suddenly sees Blitzwing and Astro Train just casually walking, walking around a back alley and the chase begins. We arrive at a dead end and the Decepticons are about to be apprehended 
but then they disappear because they're holograms. Then Trax is incapacitated by a grapple hook of some kind and is dumped in the back of a bin lorry, it seems. And Bumblebee is apprehended before he tries to escape, uh, while he is trying to escape, excuse me, to get help. It's Dinsmore and Chum Lee at work here. We then cut to the Autobots watching a soap opera of At The Kitchen Sinks, that's literally what it's called, on Teletran at HQ, that's interrupted by a special news bulletin, highlighting that an emergency meeting is being held by the UN in relation to the US-Russia tensions. Andy. <laughs> the whole watching the soap opera thing, and when the news bulletin comes on, you just hear them go, ah. <laughs> it is. It, it is. It is a wonderful little moment. Like I, I do, really, genuinely enjoyed that as just the the dumbest thing. And there is, there is some ridiculous stuff that this episode does, and all of it kind of lands. Um, and uh, right from the get go, I'm I am quite on board with this whole like big game hunting, but with robots thing. Like the the series and this, I I was gonna kind of like save this thought for the, the triple take episode but this episode also kind of made me think about how for all the dumb stuff that transformers does it also has some really pretty good comedy writing and timing to it and i feel like that the whole at the kitchen sinks moment is one of those but like the, the the triple take episode is where it really nails it in some places but you know what? there's some good comedy writing in this series when it's not having like really goofy kind of one-liners and and dumb stuff like that Optimus Prime then arrives and has a feeling that everything that's happening is not the work of the Decepticons, but also notes that Trax and Bumblebee have not reported in. Jazz casually saying that, knowing Trax, he's hanging out at a body shop or a car wash or something. Prime, Grapple, Jazz and Blaster 2 all roll out to go find them. Jazz isn't having much luck, but then randomly finds a car wash he's never seen before and a taxi forces him inside. <laughs> it's when, when, when you say it out loud like that it seems so much more stupid than when you see it on the screen because it's like yeah okay that's what happened and then yeah you actually think about it but it's like yeah this is so dumb <laughs> it's of course a trap set by Chumley and Dinsmore Chumley makes it clear the hunt has just begun and we then see Beachcomber literally getting captured by a toll booth yeah Grapple is captured by a cage at a building site Blaster is captured by a giant hand from a hand lotion billboard that literally reaches down to grab him. Inferno then dashes into a burning building to save a human that turns out to be fake and is captured. Mm-hmm. And, and let's let, just just to, just to rewind slightly, let's not forget the hand lotion is called Creamy Cream. <laughs> Which is just like, again, I mean, we talk about those Friday afternoon writer's room moments. I'm calling that one out as like, what what do we call? Like, we've got to have a name for this hand lotion. Like, I always call it Creamy Cream. I don't care. I'm I'm up down the pub. (laughs) Now, during all of this, we somehow hear some dialogue alluding to the fact that Chumley has studied the behaviour of humans and animals from various locations and tribes across the world. Hence, how he came up with his plans of capturing the Autobots. I mean, who who are we to question? Like, he has been immensely successful in his endeavours, so... (laughs) 
With most of the Autobots now captured, Prime issues a command to return to HQ immediately. Which is a good thing, because at that moment, we see Autobot, other Autobots excuse me, managing to evade capture without even knowing it. At HQ, Prime is assessing the situation, when Andy's favourite Autobot Cosmos suddenly broadcasts a message on an emergency frequency. Quote-unquote, Optimus, I've spotted something most disturbing! And then shows a video of each Autobot, each captured Autobot in quite a predicament, let's say. Beachcomber is on the car equivalent of a horizontal hamster wheel, having to jump and dodge beds of spikes at random intervals. Grapple is restrained and having to hold up a heavy boulder without dropping it on himself. And Bumblebee is stuck on a table where there are giant swinging sickles trying to hit him, but he's having to transform back and back and forth again and again to avoid each sickle. Yeah, see, I I I do want to say like we we've, we've talked a lot across the course of this podcast about things Transformers did first. Like last episode, we realized that they or maybe it's the episode before that we realized they invented Toy Story, and this week we find out that the origin of Saw was actually a Transformers episode. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that we're just racking up the fact that actually everything started out as Transformers. Like, I think it's, it's cultural importance should not be understated at this point. <laughs> then, somehow, I'm not even going to ask at this point, Chumley then appears on Teletrans screen in communication with Prime. He explains that he is offering Prime a sporting chance at rescuing his companions, which Prime accepts and then sends a feedback overload frequency back to Chumley's machine, blowing it up in the process. We then cut to the Decepticon underwater base, because yes everyone, Decepticon's finally in this episode, where Megatron is looking at footage of what Chumley has been doing. Megatron says, Whoever he is, he's brilliant for a flesh creature. Starscream then responds with, Especially since he's done more in two days than you have in two years. <laughs> Megatron then hits Starscream and just says, My patience for you is wearing thin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Starscream, one, asking for it, two, not wrong. And this, this, this must also be like the first time that we've really sort of name-checked that basically everything we've seen in Transformers has, like, happened in real time, because this is kind of, we're at the, like, almost two-year point of this show being broadcast, and it's like, that's clearly, you know, that that was actually, it, it's all been just live reporting. All of this has happened in real time, which I found weirdly interesting. I'm not sure why, I just find it fascinating. That's actually a really good point. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it would be at that point. Yeah, that's actually a really, yeah. really good point. Which, I mean, I guess makes sense because they do sort of name check it's like 1984 when, you know, the art crash lands. But it sort of, it never really gets referred to after that point, you know, where we are in time. And obviously we get the movie and, you know, we, we, we move forward to 2005. But it was just kind of this interest of like, oh, okay, I guess, you know, we're still in actual 1986 at this point. So, good, good to know. Astro Train and Blitzwing, referred to by Megatron collectively as the Triple Changers, so that's actually their tag team name now, as far as I'm concerned, are then tasked with meeting Chum Lee, because with his help, they will finish the Autobots. Starscream also then manages to make a snide remark about Megatron being afraid to do it himself. Probably for the best. Prime arrives at what apparently Andy, according to Chum Lee, quote-unquote, 
a well-researched mock-up of Cybertron. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, <laughs> talk, talking about good comedy writing, like that's a really fantastic gag because it doesn't make a big deal out of it. It's just a very clear, like, this guy doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Like, he's a complete idiot. And, you know, you get to see his idea of Cybertron and it's that's just a really good un- unspoken, just like, yep, that was, that was actually funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad as well especially as prime suddenly has to have a tangle with what i've written down as a giant komodo dragon oh, i i i i write down optimus prime flies in in his truck mode then beats up a welsh dragon oh that was, was my take on it which i i i think it, said creature then gets name checked as not being a welsh dragon but it'll always be a welsh dragon in my heart either way we both conclude it was a dragon right yeah but also let's just talk about this why is optimus prime flying in truck mode now like is that is that a thing like that's i've not seen him do that before and that seems weird but okay i I don't know andy i don't know (laughs) now chumley says that sorry yeah so chumley at this point is saying that prime's quest is to find his friends which chumley then highlights are hidden about the place useful Prime is then apprehended and electrified by a giant energy net. <laughs> Writing, looking at my notes on this, I'm just like, what the heck did we watch? <laughs> Prime is able to overload this energy net with the help of a metal chain somehow tangling by a, a nearby overhead power line. Chumley is very happy with the performance of his target. Then the triple changes arrive and proceed to follow Prime quietly and out of sight, even though one of them stumbles and makes a racket. We then get to see Prime not be outsmarted by a variety of Chumley's traps, including a damsel in distress, which is actually something akin to a bear trap that encases the prisoner in some kind of green hardened liquid shell. And this ultimately happens to Blitzwing. And then there's even like a giant scorpion-like remote-controlled robot. What is going on, Andy? (laughs) Yeah, I... It's weird how many giant, like, robot scorpions we've had in in this show, like, in the pre-Scorponok era. It's, like, clear... makes you wonder whether that was, like, somebody watched this and, like, you know what? Why did we not have a robot scorpion yet? Um, but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm always here for the robot scorpions. I will also note that when Blitzwing is captured, Prime does have a pretty amazing line of dialogue. I don't know if you wrote it down, Andy, but it is, quote-unquote, amazing. A booby trap that actually captures boobies. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I somehow missed that one, but that is a pretty good line. I mean, I also enjoyed, like, Chumley at some point that just says, Outsmarted by a lorry, I'm disgraced. <laughs> which, uh, which was a, a really, really great line as well. I'm just glad he called it a lorry. <laughs> More than anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like some proper, you know, it's not just your, you're just cheesy british accent although it's totally just your cheesy british accent clearly some research got into character a bit of method acting there <laughs> i feel astro train then assists chum lee in taking down prime but chum lee is a big game hunter for sport quite frankly and feels cheated by this and takes both the decepticons back to his castle and restrains them i don't know how he just did Chumley makes it clear that he'd that he'd sooner have the help of an aardvark than have the Decepticons help. Which, you know what, Andy? Based on what he's accomplished so far in this episode, I don't think he's wrong. 
No, but I mean, there's where's you know where, where's the the problem with that statement? <laughs> Chumley then goes to speak to both Grapple and Bumblebee, who are still fending off their bonds to say the least, but are fading fast due to lack of energy. Bumblebee then manages to use some of that precious energy that he has left over to contact Prime via radio, which Prime receives, and Prime just basically tells him, put on a homing signal, I'm coming to get you. Prime is still advancing through all the various obstacles he's having to contend with, including a giant robot spider. And Chumley is very impressed he was able to defeat the giant robot spider. Prime then ends up managing to break into the control area of the castle. Feeling perhaps scared and worried he's about to lose from all this, Chumley then goes to the two Decepticons, which, worth noting, a few moments earlier, he had threatened to destroy them both in molten lava. Keep that in mind. He then asks the Decepticons for help. The Decepticons say to trust them. And of course, he did, but they weren't going to honour that, and instead just tried to kill him instead. Quite frankly saying, who trusts Decepticons? <laughs> the Autobots are then freed, off camera, and Prime delivers the missing Russian jet and Chumley to the Soviets, and according to a news broadcast that is appearing over the screen, as the credits are about to roll, Prime is given the credit and everything ends happily. <laughs> That's how the episode ends! <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the editing of this episode, this is another one, the editing kind of falls apart the deeper and you get. Um, I mean, also, I feel like surprisingly for sort of you know a mid-80s cartoon like it ends with just optimus prime helps the soviets right <laughs> that's, that's not normally kind of the messaging of these kinds of shows in this kind of time period but hey i mean you know if that was the only way to avert a global crisis then i guess it's fine i mean just to highlight that even more one of the trivia notes i've got courtesy of tf wiki once again is that the news report in the episode referring to the captured jet says it is the highest point in the US-Soviet tensions since the Cuban Missile Crisis. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Also, a random note, which I kind of enjoyed, and this also perhaps lends itself a bit more to who was doing the voicing and stuff. Grapple's voice in this episode is much higher and more nasally than usual, presumably in an attempt by Peter Renaday, the voice actor, to distinguish him from Lord Chumley, because he is also the voice of Grapple. Yeah, that's. I, I was trying to like figure that out because yeah, like Grapple doesn't have a lot to say in this, but I was like, he. That's not how Grapple sounds. I I remember what he spoke like, and yeah, I guess that makes sense. It would. I mean, given all the other continuity errors in that show, I don't know why that was the hill they chose to die on, but I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Overall, Andy, this was. This is quite an episode. It is. Because of how absurd it is, but because of somehow it pays it off, it is actually randomly good fun to watch. But my word, was this a was this a trip? It's by no means good, I'm going to say that, but it somehow just about holds it together through all the incredible moments it has. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's mad as a box of frogs, but it has the energy to kind of get away with it. I mean, I feel like... When you get to sort of like the final sort of showdown between Prime and Chumley, that's the point where it sort of falls apart a bit. But like I say, I like the kind of the twist of like big game hunter, but with robots like that all works pretty well. I almost wish it had just stuck with that a, a bit longer and kind of had him just collecting even more 
Transformers in ridiculous ways and then, you know, having a final showdown with Prime and Megatron joining forces or something at the end because everybody else has been kidnapped because they're all idiots, apparently. Um, but yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this. Like, it's, again, much like Decepticon Raids in King Arthur's Court, it just has that... It knows that it's stupid and it knows that it has a dumb premise and it just kind of runs with it and ramps stuff up to 11 off of the back of that. And I think some, that's kind of the best way for these sort of episodes to go. Um, so yeah, I, I had some fun times with it. It was it was an entertaining episode, but yeah, not necessarily a good one in any kind of critical sense. Well, Andy, the next episode we are talking about today is episode 35 of season 2, The Girl Who Loved Power Glide. I think before we get going on this, because you've referenced this a few times throughout the course of the podcast and even at the top of the show, you are very familiar with this episode. So just to kind of set the scene, from your perspective, what is your history with this episode once again? Yeah, so my history with this episode is, I mean, ironically, I'm not as massive all that massively familiar with it it's just that i this is one of the episodes that i outright owned on vhs because it was like the second episode on my call of the primitives vhs which like that was the part of the tape that was well worn because that episode is amazing and i always kind of like girl he loved power glide was like the sort of you know the the lesser brother of that episode where I'd watch Call of the Primitives and be like oh, do I want to watch this other one and occasionally I would but it was never all that high in my kind of uh, in my estimation so it was really interesting coming back to this episode with a kind of like world weary cynicism of just like yeah this wasn't a great episode and I I think I've been a bit harsh to it as it turns out well, on that note then, let's begin. We start at a building in New York City, not too dissimilar as I've written down here to how Avengers Tower looks in the MCU films, but that's a debate for another day, where a birthday party is occurring for the lady chairman of Hybrid Technologies Corporation, which you'll probably hear me refer to as like high tech or something along those lines throughout the rest of the episode. The chairman's name is Astoria Carlton Ritz. <laughs> yeah which i mean again some friday night writing going on there of just like what do we what do we call this technology magnate lady and it's like oh i don't know just name her after a hotel or something <laughs> or like, two as it turns what, out yeah what about all the hotels james <laughs> now I mean, at, le at least at least this wasn't set in the uk where she'd be like travel lodge premier in <laughs> You know, um, I don't know. I've run, run out of hotel names. Like, Easy Hotel. <laughs> hotel Ibis. I I Ibis Travel Lodge <laughs> Premier no Inn or something. Yeah. <laughs> I caught me off guard, sorry. Uh, there, there, there are other board members present at this party who are not happy to be there. She wants them to lighten up and suddenly complains that the company is like a prison with no action and wants them all to lighten up and have fun. Then, Decepticon Seeker Jets just randomly begin attacking this party on top of this skyscraper, looking seemingly to be trying to kidnap Astoria. But Power Glide happens to literally just be passing by and assists her in, in, assists her in, in escaping, I should say, providing her with a rope that she hangs onto just above skyscrapers while Power Glide is flying around until he retracts said rope, then she is inside. 
I've, I've seen. I, I, I've played the Spider-Man game. That's easy. Like, <laughs> swinging around skyscrapers. You know, anyone can do it. You just press a button. She is, of course, bemused by the fact that nobody is flying the plane. Almost causes Power Glide to crash just by randomly pushing a load of buttons. Which I thought was an interesting note, Andy, because I didn't realise that effectively you could still take control of an Autobot even when they're in vehicle mode. I thought that was kind of a little interesting random addition there. Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, it's, uh, we've never really seen it done before because, yeah, everyone just kind of sits and, like, pretends to drive. But, I mean, I guess it makes sense that all of that stuff would work and, you know, th there's probably some kind of decision-making on, like, the Transformer side of will I let you take control of me or not. But, uh, yeah, like, an, an interesting little, little tidbit to, to add to the, the mystique of the Transformers. The Seeker Jets are able to catch up with Power Glide and Astoria, but... They managed to avoid the Seekers by a very, very clever tactic, Andy. Simply just hiding under a motorway overpass. Basic, but it works. With them having landed safely, she's completely infatuated with Power Glide, trying to jump into his arms, except he literally just throws her away back onto the concrete. <laughs> Upon some questioning from Power Glide, we hear that she actually inherited the company from her late father. Despite her just wanting to fly some more, Powerglide wants to know what the Decepticons are after. This is when we cut back to Sparkplug's garage, with Prime on a call, saying, according to this data, which I'm guessing that means, Andy, that they hacked the company. I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> but Astoria isn't allowed access to the research and or data equipment inside the corporation. Prime surmises the Decepticons perhaps want to hold her hostage in exchange for info. A logical assumption, I would say. Now, where is Astoria during this time, you may be wondering. Well, she is in the workshop part of the garage with Spike, who, despite his best efforts to try and flatter and flirt with her, she is more interested in knowing more about Powerglide. And and, and I, I I know I wrote in massive letters here. Spike, what about Carly? Yeah, not for the first time in this show. Like, dude. <laughs> I know. I mean, to be fair, we haven't seen Carly in freaking yonks at this point. But that doesn't change the fact. What about Carly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the f future mother of your child, Spike. Come on. <laughs> this is where things go a bit pear shaped. As Spike is annoyed at the fact, basically, he's not going to be able to hit on Astoria. He then mucks up some engine repair work. So much so, he manages to set a, a car's engine on fire. And then shoves Astoria out of the way, who then stumbles into another engine that crashes through another car. This is how they set up the why Astoria can't be near any research and data machines in this episode. She's saying that she doesn't get on well with machines, it seems. I think that's an understatement, quite frankly. Powerglide then has to escort her back to Autobot HQ... But she's hungry. It seems a detour is in order. At Decepticon HQ, Megatron can't believe that the Cone Seeker Jets didn't capture the girl, especially given that they're meant to be, according to Megatron, the most powerful jets in the galaxy. Interesting note there, I did not know that. He then tells them they will find the girl or be melted down for scrap. We then see Astoria having a grand old time at a theme park. I guess in Central Park, probably, or somewhere like that. But Powerglide is worried about the potential danger. 
Suddenly she gets really defensive about the necklace she's wearing when Power Glide's trying to kind of grab her saying we need to go and stuff. But it's because it's something that her father said to never take off. Power Glide, being a gentleman at this point, apologises because he didn't know. And at that point, there's kind of a mutual understanding. A nice moment. And just at that point, the Cone Seeker Jets arrive to get the girl. A lot going on there, Andy, but I, I like the way that they've set up this episode. We've got another bit of this kind of mystery and intrigue surrounding Astoria and what the heck is that all about. You've clearly got the, the different range of emotions going on and Power Glide just being confused while also being a dumb klutz about the whole thing as well. There's a nice play on various character elements here and at the moment, it's working out really well in this episode. I'm liking it. Yeah, I mean, th this is one of the interesting things I think about like kid brain me versus still kid brain but older me um, of, of like re-watching this episode because my memories of this episode were mostly like one, Carly Bean whiny, and two, the kind of, like, uh, she's just, like, blows up technology, feeling like a really dumb kind of plot point. And those... And and see, I guess Power Glide maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't think I, I don't think I minded Power Glide as a kid. Um, to be fair, but yeah, coming into this episode fresh. First things first, the animation quality on this episode is really really good. It's t super top notch. Like the whole chase scene and the start of this episode is fantastic. Like even the first shot you get of Power Glide, he looks so cool. Like he kind of looks like a stubby crap plane in a lot of Transformers and to be honest the toy was kind of a stubby crap plane as well but like in this episode he looks really kind of sleek and shiny and angular in a way that makes him look really awesome I th I, I have a weird feeling now that this might have been why as much as I've like cr critiqued my like previous thoughts on this episode I feel like this might have been why I ended up with the Power Glide toy off the back of this episode so you know <laughs> marketing works i guess um but like he looks really cool that whole chase sequence is fantastic um and it's it's this is another one of those episodes where i really want to know about like what came first like you know th this is a chicken and egg for me of like did this episode just happen to get a lot of time lavished on its animation and it ended up on a bunch of vhs tapes because of that or was it always planned that this was going to be a VHS tape release and so they were asked to put more care and attention into the episode? Because it's a real cut above a lot of season two. This might be the best looking episode we've had in this show, you know, certainly in this season. It's um, a good point you bring up. I hadn't thought of that, actually. If It would be, I mean, we'll probably never know at this point, but it would be interesting to know if there were any mandates like that or maybe how episodes were selected to even be on VHSs like that. Yeah, because cause you could, it, it was obvious with like the two parters, things like Desertion of the Dynamots, Megatron's Master Plan, like they, they were clearly made to be, you know, heading to home video because they're two parters, mm. you know, you can fill a tape with them and they're big, kind of big name stories, you know, you've got Dinobots on there, you've got Megatron on there, you've got names that kids are going to see like on the, the shelf and be like, mum, buy me this one, but like... Powerglide, the girl who loved Powerglide's not going to sell videotapes on its own. So it's sort of a weird kind of... Although, I mean, having said that, like maybe they had data that showed like, hey, the Powerglide toy is selling really well. We should have an episode about him. I could be completely off base on that. But it's a it's a fascinating one when you compare it to like the other kind of tentpole VHS episodes that had a very clear kind of 
focus on big name characters and then you've got this which is power glide and it has a really great kind of animation feel to it um so yeah I, i'm very curious like as to, to how this episode in particular got this attention lavished to it but man is it is it worth it because it looks really great um and yeah i like the, the dynamic between a story and power glide actually kind of you know really works and feels quite natural um and i think again like grown-up me appreciates that a bit more because like that actually you know it, it, it comes together pretty well um and um you get to see power glide on a merry-go-round as well and that's <laughs> that that will always like that that's another weird like childhood memory that i think super serious like transformers are really important to me like andy <laughs> didn't like that when i was like six seven years old but like you know i'm more comfortable with my transformers fandom now and i can say power glide on a merry-go-round is awesome it does, in a way, what's kind of weirder for me at this point is this is the first Power Glide-focused episode we've got. And it's not even his origin story, or there's no alluding to it either at any point. No, there's kind no. of part of me that kind of wonders, could they have, like, had a conversation between the two at some point? Because we don't really. Like, we hear, you know, some of the backstory of Astoria, but never of Power Glide specifically. Yeah, yeah, and it is, it is interesting. And again, maybe that's something that I bounced off when I was younger, that I was just hyper-focused on, you know, the Transformers and not the human characters because they were just getting in the way of the cool robots. But, like, you know, the story is kind of... has a, quite a depth to her as, like, you know, a, a character who won't reappear in Transformers. He says, testing his time travel theory. <laughs> like, show, show me what you got. Um, but, like, you know, our story is really interesting because you, you look at Raul, like, you don't get all that much backstory on him as a character. Like, you know, he was in debt, he was stealing cars. That's kind of all very, like, immediate story stuff. Whereas a story, you kind of, you get more of her sort of, you know, her, her origins and her life so far. Um, and that is kind of quite interesting as well. Back at the theme park, Astoria hides while Power Glide is having to get with merry-go-rounds and all sorts of things being thrown at him by the Seeker Jets. But he's able to get the upper hand on them and escapes to the sky with Astoria. The Seekers pursue them and Power Glide's wing is injured during an aerial tussle. They end up having to land in a desert-like location while radioing for help. If you had desert-like location on your Transformers bingo card, you may check this now. Quote unquote, you're a real pain in the afterburner, you know that, says Power Glide to Astoria in response to her showing concern for the fact he's injured. For crying out loud, Power Glide, come on. To which she says, you don't have to be Mr. Macho all the time. And she's also then covering up the, the open wound, quote unquote, on, a, on Power Glide's arm by just tearing part of her dress to stop sand from getting in there, she says. And then this is when she starts to open up about her feelings for Power Glide, to which he begins to almost try to say something in return when the Seeker Jets find them and attack. Power Glide is then buried under large amounts of rubble as she is taken away. I really, really like this entire sequence of events, like the battle and everything, and also just, again, this interaction between Power Glide and Astoria. It's working really well, Andy. Yeah, and it, it has it has an emotional level to it that this series rarely has. I mean, you know, we we get some of it in like season one with like Spike and Spark Plug and their relationship, but for the most part, 
relationships in Transformers are all very functional. Like even when we have you know episodes about treachery and stuff, it always feels a little bit going through the the, the motions. But this is. This is a really good matchup of characters because, like, you have Powerglide and Astoria are both kind of like belligerent and get what they want most of the time, and like having the two of them bounce off of one another and kind of basically soften one another's rough edges in real time is actually really satisfying to to watch, um, and so I do really enjoy that. I do have a question about how vending machines work in New York in this show, though. <laughs> because there, are, there is a vending machine of what appears to be just, like, bottles or cans of, you know, Coke, insert soft drink here. You know, Powerglide basically, like, blows a hole in it and just, like, a, a, a torrent, a fountain of, like, liquid soda just spurts out of it. And I'm pretty sure that's not how it would work if you, like, blew a hole in a Coke vending machine. I've never done it. I've never been a robot that's able to do it, but I'm pretty sure that's not how that happens. Is Mythbusters still a thing? Can we get them to test it? Yeah, because it's like it's, they treat it like you know, like would happen with like a, a petrol, like a, a gas pump in in American parlance. Like you know, I if if you blew a hole in that, I can understand there might be enough pressure for like a bunch of of liquid to come out at high pressure. But this is not that's not how vendor machines work. But hey, <laughs> it, it looked cool, so that's fine, I guess. With the Storia having been captured and Powerglide now able to somehow get out of the rubble, Ratchet and Wheeljack arrive and take him back to Autobot HQ for repairs. During the repairs, he's being a very impatient patient and just discharges himself when his wing is fixed. When speaking to Prime, though, Teletrans suddenly has an alert saying that it's detected unusual atmospheric activity over the North Atlantic. Upon hearing this, Powerglide immediately heads out, for what Prime is assuming in the sky, there is some kind of suborbital station. Good guess, Prime. At said station, the Constructicons say that the energy transducer is now fully operational, which Megatron is very happy about. The plan is to turn the Earth's electromagnetic field into raw energon. But that's dependent on what Astoria knows. And then we see that she is restrained to a chair inside. Though she's got no idea what the heck that they're wanting and what the heck that they're after. Despite the fact, according to Megatron, Astoria's father gave her high-tech energy formula, quote-unquote. Megatron is beside himself at the fact that Astoria just won't tell him anything, and she's having some great little back-and-forth comments as well, kind of just going, what is your problem? <laughs> like, I don't know. And some great comeback, like, one-line comebacks as well. So Megatron initiates a psycho probe to extract the info. <laughs> Andy, how do you rate the name of psycho probe in the list of Decepticon weapons? I mean, it does does exactly what it says on the tin, so you know it's 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 very decidedly functional, or it would be if they weren't using it on Astoria, as it turns out. <laughs> as you've just alluded to, they're about to use the device on Astoria. Soundwave says that her mind is completely empty upon an initial scan, and that there are that suddenly there is a malfunction. Now, the whole joke, the whole joke, excuse me, of Astoria and machines not getting along is brought up by her now as well. So she's adding insult to injury. During this time, we see Powerglide approaching the, the space, sta uh, space station, suborbital station, excuse me. But there are kind of like electromagnetic waves being produced 
pushing him to his limit. Luckily for him, the psycho probe that they're trying to use on Astoria is constantly malfunctioning. And after trying to do a few workarounds, invoking Soundwave and Rumble simply holding the cables in place on Astoria's face is instigated. This is when Megatron makes it known that the psycho probe will will shoot 90,000 volts of energy through her brain. Which, even at that point, Soundwave and Rumble have a moment of, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> There's some more wonderful backtalk from Astoria when this machine is still not working. And when they activate it, the vaults don't go through her, the vaults go through Soundwave and Rumble. Now, suddenly, Andy, we get a Decepticon equivalent of Teletran, I guess, picking up Power Glide on sensors, which sees them leave, giving Astoria the chance to escape. Gonna pause there for a sec, because I want to make mention, you've been talking about, like, the animation quality of this episode. Even, like, when Power Glide's trying to fly towards the base, and they've got the sort of the pink purple energy waves going through the sky and power glide having to navigate them it looks really really cool even when they get to the point of activating this this machine that keeps malfunctioning on astoria when they initially try to use it like she's her there's like a giant pink energy wave around her and it looks really freaking like just demented and and scary quite frankly yeah yeah and that that's the thing like you know when i when we had that really cool chase sequence early on in this episode, I was kind of like, yeah, okay, you probably, like, burned all your time on that and the rest of this is gonna, you know, be, like, average at best. But it really keeps up the animation quality and, it, you know, even beyond, like, the visual flourishes, like, everything stays on model, you know, pretty much the entire time. You know, every scene looks good in this episode. And again, like, even where we've had, you know, the, the bit in the desert, you know, bandaging Powerglide's arm, like, all of the all of that stuff was really well kind of observed and realised. Like, and I, I think it, it's, it's also an episode because it's quite human focused. You can kind of appreciate it in terms of like a story is kind of movement and stuff. I mean, it's like you mentioned that, that, that shot where like, you know, Paraglide basically just kind of pushes her away. Like is really well animated in terms of, you know, her like falling to the ground and all of that stuff that really sells you on this episode. And, you know, the characters kind of, you know, physiques, their emotions, etc., etc. Um, and yeah, like it, it just keeps that up pretty much all the way through. Like it never really fumbles the ball in terms of how it looks. Megatron is now reveling at the fact that Power Glide won't be able to get past the energy storm, as he calls it, that the station is emitting. But Astoria decided she has to sacrifice her necklace to be able to break the entire station. <laughs> Which she just casually mentions while having a monologue to herself that the energy formula is inside her necklace. Plot twist. Who could have seen this coming? <laughs> Into the source of the energy storm it goes and it breaks the station. It does it pretty damn well as well, allowing Power Glide to save her as the station is falling from the sky. We then get a traditional Decepticon escape and then Power Glide and Astoria go inside as she won't take a parachute of some kind that Power Glide has tried to give her to be able to fly down to safety. Power Glide is trying to fix the space station just by, like, hitting some buttons on the console, but Astoria is next to her. What have we come to realise during this episode, folks? That if Astoria is near a machine, 
it won't work. So Powerglide, quite literally, just chucks her back outside of the control room, starts hitting some buttons, and magically, it works, and sets a new destination course for the station to land. But where, you may be wondering? We now go to the Decepticon underwater base, and we see Megatron and a few others looking at a screen when suddenly they get a notification that the base is about to hit them. And we get the following dialogue exchange. Megatron says, Energize the force fields! To which Soundwave responds with, What force field? <laughs> <laughs> the sky platform crashes into the base and Megatron basically says, Clean up this mess! <laughs> and, and we leave. We then see Powerglide and Astoria having having a touch of what apparently will be a temporary parting, but who knows if she actually will turn up again or not. With I mean, her- she will now because I mentioned that. So <laughs> our time travel will make sure of that. <laughs> with her utterly smitten over him. The episode ends with everyone having a joke at Powerglide's love-stricken expense and him having an energy wave in the shape of a love heart when he opens up his chest plate. Yeah. Which which I think that was the final nail in the coffin of six-year-old me of like, ugh, girls suck. Why do <laughs> like a girl? I don't like him anymore. So it, it, all, it all made sense in that moment. I'm like, oh, this is why I didn't like that episode when I was a kid. I really, really enjoyed this episode, Andy. It just, it's got some cracking one-liners, great animation as we've talked about. And even the ending sequence, which I'll give you a chance to talk about now as well, in case you've got any additional notes. It just, it ends really well. Kind of like we were talking about with the first episode tonight. The pacing of this episode is really solid. Yeah, yeah. Because even though, like, the ending does come at you quite fast, but in all the right ways of just, like, it it turns things around and, and... I mean, it really goes for it as well. The fact that it just obliterates the Decepticon base at the end. It's not just, you know, it, it's, it just, you know, falls into the sea somewhere. Like, because that would normally be the thing of like, oh, we need to stop it landing on the city. We'll just drop it in the sea. No, it just literally comes back and bites the Decepticon and destroys. I mean, it's a good job. You can see now why they build so many bases, because mm-hmm. there's always that risk that someone's going to drop a space station on one of them. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like all of that is, is, is really good. But yeah, this is, this is is a, a very strong episode like i say i had completely forgotten how good this episode looks and the character interactions again always a bit like you know having talked about how the autobop episode felt refreshing this feels refreshing for different reasons because it actually uses its human characters as humans not just as like accessories to whatever the transformers are doing and that actually works really well to have that kind of level of interaction. And it's not just the generic, we need to save the humans because we're the good guys. It's like Powerglide saves and helps Astoria because he actually cares about her. And the episode sells you on the why and how they kind of, you know, sort of bounce off of one another. So yeah, like it's a surprisingly strong episode. And uh, yeah, like I take back everything that I ever said about this for the last like, 30-something years because I was wrong. This episode is good, actually. Before we move on to our final episode tonight, would you like some interesting trivia notes from the TF Wiki? Yes, please, please do. First of all, as we've already alluded to in in this recap, Astoria's name comes from two famous upscale hotels, the Waldorf Astoria and Ritz-Carlton. 
the line, it's my party and I'll cry if I want to, as announced by Astoria early in the episode, is actually a lyric from the 1963 Leslie Gore song, It's My Party. Yes, indeed it is. Yeah, one thing Transformers didn't invent first, just in case people were <laughs> That was actually a reference in the other direction. David Wise, the writer of this episode, recycled its characters, plot, and set pieces wholesale for his Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, Poor Little Rich Turtle. <laughs> I mean... He he got he got a lot of value out of his scripts. To be fair, like every <laughs> everything that he wrote, it seemed like he also just used it in another show and just switched the names around. Like you know, this, th- work smart, not hard. That's what they say. So you know, to, to reinforce this point, Andy as well, even down to replicating the romance subplot, the merry-go-round fight sequence, the brain-sucking torture sequence, and the climax where the villain's base gets hilariously damaged. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, hey, if it, if it works, then why not? And now, a very UK-specific note for you, Andy, which you may get a kick out of. While every other DVD release of the Generation 1 cartoon by Metrodome had been awarded a BBFCU rating, the opening line of this episode, in which a partygoer professes to feel an absolute bloody fool, <laughs> earned the box set a PG rating for mild language. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. I wonder. I wonder whether that's still like a PG-rated issue in like 2022 with the, the changing things. But yeah, that's that's that is the most BBFC thing ever. Like somebody said, <laughs> bloody once, and that's that's it. Ah, oh, from there, everyone. We now move to our final episode of this podcast for today. Strap in, folks, because it's time to talk about episode 36 of season two, Triple Takeover. Let's see how this goes, Andy. (laughs) We begin with the Triple Changers and Starscream effectively carving their version of Mount Rushmore into a rock face. Yeah, they they did it before Naruto. Let's just... (laughs) With it being those three plus Megatron until they all collectively agree that Megatron actually shouldn't be on there and deface his part of the rock face, effectively removing it. This leads us to... This leads us into a scenario with a variety of moving parts, to say the least. Astro Train, Blitzwing, and Starscream want to lure Megatron out of the Decepticon underwater base so they can finally overthrow his leadership. One of the triple changes was going to do it because Starscream has clearly tried before and failed, as one of them was talking about. A notion that Starscream takes exception to and ultimately heads into the base himself to get the job done. This is when we see that the triple changes are discussing to each other that Starscream has also now played into their hands. We cut to what we overhear based on dialogue is an underground sewer tunnel with Starscream leading Megatron to what he to what he tells him is a secret Autobot power station. Sure, Starscream. Though even Megatron at this point is dubious of this and the location, also feeling that perhaps reinforcements might be useful before Starscream effectively goads him for being a coward and they continue on. They reach a dead end when suddenly they are both trapped because the direction they just came from is blocked off. A gas of some sort is then piped into the room which turns out to be air molecules below freezing temperatures 
minus 450 degrees based on some later dialogue, it turns out. This being done by Astro Train and Blitzwing in an adjacent location. Megatron freezes, and Starscream, very happy with his plan having worked, tries to get out of what we see is a planned secret exit. But it's stuck. The Triple Changes plan has worked, with both Megatron and Starscream seemingly now frozen and completely out of commission. Before we get to what happens next, Andy, <laughs> thoughts on this setup so far? Because as we alluded to at the top of this podcast and throughout other random bits, the, the concept of the story of this episode so far is freaking great. It's so good, it's very well executed, it's entirely logical at this point, how it all comes together. What are your thoughts so far? Yeah, like I was really excited when I got to this point in the episode because, yeah, we've had, you know, a lot of kind of mutinous plans and talk in various episodes, but we've never had an entire episode really completely dedicated to... Decepticons trying to overthrow Megatron and the fact that we have like three of them kind of working sort of together but not quite like is, is a really interesting concept and I was I was very much on board for like a full episode of whatever was going to come out of this um, and yeah at this point it all seems to be going pretty well like Megatron is strangely stupid in terms of falling for Starscream etc's plans but hey I can I can live with that so yeah at this point I was kind of like okay I'm, I'm in for this like what's going to happen especially also when you consider with Astro Train in particular like we've sort of seen his appetite for, for power and we've also seen it established that he's powerful in his own right so i'm like okay well i'm i'm in for seeing like you know what astro train can do here blitzwing unknown quantity here um you know i i have the toy and the toy is cool but that doesn't mean anything um and yeah like i i was i was kind of rubbing my hands together a bit like right what happens next and i wish i hadn't asked we then cut to an american football team having a practice inside an empty stadium when Blitzwing randomly appears and decides this is the perfect location for quote-unquote Blitzwing headquarters. Original. Blitzwing then decides that the coach of the football team is a great military commander and will be his second-in-command. Then, Blitzwing demands that the coach gives him an opinion on the best strategy, which the coach can only do in the form of American football plays, and says specifically, zone defense. <laughs> oh, saying that out loud makes my brain hurt. Uh, I, I, I mean, I will say, like, th this is what I, I meant earlier when I talked about some really sharp comedy writing in this series. Because if you, if you translated this away from Transformers, you could make this into a really and and the, the the kind of the continuity of this as it goes you could make this into a really good like snl skit of just like you know presidential candidate that has no clue how to like be in charge of anything and just ends up like i'll just get an american football coach to teach me um and you could have like a whole run of gags around that and you could do a lot of the actual literal jokes that this episode does 
I think it's just the stuff all around the periphery of this that makes it feel so dumb. I mean, I just love the fact that Blitzwing kind of lands in this American football stadium and like the quarterback or whatever is just like, coach, it's a tank. What do I do? <laughs> and they, and of course, of course, he throws the American football into the turret of Blitzwing's tank mode. And it's just what i don't this is bizarre um and yeah there, there is there is a part of this specifically that i really enjoy as pure comedy there's a part of it that i kind of enjoy as transformer doesn't understand how the world actually works and is somehow equated like well you're in charge of a bunch of people therefore you're some kind of important leader but it's also incredibly dumb, and this is this is maybe not the episode where I wanted to see this stuff, given you know where I was at in terms of what I wanted this episode to do. Meanwhile, Astro Train decides that a train station is the perfect location for. You ready for this, everyone? Astro Train headquarters. <laughs> And strips various computers for computer brain parts to give to his soldiers, which turn out to be trains. We then... I've got to try and go back and forth correctly here. Back at the American football stadium, we then see the Constructicons being very confused as to why they're building a maze highway, which Blitzwing says is his zone defence. We get another sequence of Blitzwing wanting an American football play to which the coach says long bombs and he, <laughs> he uses this influence to start sending rockets into the air and blowing up one of the three bridges of New York City, which of which luckily Hoist is there on hand to just help those affected and keep the bridge in a somewhat usable state. Blitzwing then continues to launch long bombs as we go to an ad break. Yeah, is this? Are we at the point yet where he's just keeping the coach in a locker? Or is that <laughs> I think we we may have got to that point. I I, I'm going to say now, everybody, there are some parts of this episode I, I may not have written down because I just couldn't process what I was looking at. Yeah, because because when when I talk about the great comedy of this episode, my favourite part of this entire episode is where Blitzwing wants some more advice. He just re opens up a locker, reaches it into it, pulls out the coach, gets some words of wisdom from him, then says, "Stay here at your desk," and throws him back in the locker. <laughs> and it's just it's just beautiful. Like that is a fantastic piece of like comedy writing and timing, which again could be an SNL skit. It's just all the other nonsense around these maze roads and the Constructicons seemingly not really questioning any of what's going on and just being like, okay, I guess we'll just do this and everything else is kind of a mess. I, th I think the part that disappoints me most about this is all like Astro Train's side of this. Yeah. Because again, he's been built up as being kind of smart, kind of strong and he's just doing dumb train stuff this entire episode and it's like... This doesn't really feel in character. This doesn't really feel like they've got a grasp of who Astro Train really is. Um, and it all kind of falls a bit flat. Like, Blitzwing works as a kind of... Here's a dumb guy who wants to be leader. And, of course, he does a lot of incredibly dumb things to try and get there. I'm, I'm sold on that idea. But Astro Train stuff just kind of falls really flat because it just feels that feels a bit phoned in that they couldn't think of anything better to do with him especially given that what like some six or seven episodes earlier we saw him basically be a faux god 
Yeah, yeah, and and like and, and in that episode, he really kind of owns the circumstances. He's really smart about how he uses that stuff, and like you know, he's sold as being kind of like a prospective leader because he's got like the malevolent you know smarts to 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 back up the fact that he's also you know strong. And then in this episode, he's just making all the dumbest decisions possible just because something, something trains. And it's like, <laughs> oh, this isn't really, this isn't really working for me. Now, with all of the long bombs being launched by Blitzwing, we see various buildings suffering. But of course, the commotion has led to Autobots to wanting to find the source, which turns out to be the football stadium. But they encounter the maze highway the Constructicons have made. This is when Blitzwing, once again, as you just talked about, Andy, really comes into his own. Because he takes the chance to, to basically just take them all on personally, using both his flying and tank abilities to good force. So much so that Prowl literally explodes when colliding into him. And then literally, and I mean literally, flattens and decimates other Autobots he is fighting. I'm sure we just saw Transformers get killed, Andy. Yeah, there's maybe maybe there was some warming up for the movie at this point of like let's just test the water. Let's see let's see how the kids feel about this. Um but yeah, it's 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 a lot and it's the whole maze road thing. I don't know whether that's an amazing thing that this episode does or a terrible thing. I genuinely <laughs> Did you intend that up. what you just said? I didn't, but I'll, I'll I'll run with it and say that I did. But I I can't I can't decide how I feel about it because I I think literally shot by shot as this like bit progressed, I was like, this is so stupid. Maybe this is kind of great. No, no, this is stupid. Oh, but that was kind of cool. Oh, I don't know. So I I'm I'm very much on the fence as to how I feel about the the maze roads. I did like the aftermath, though, because at this point, this is a recurring theme from the episode, which I've not written down each time, but every time Blitzwing essentially scores a win, or, like, a point, if you're, like, talking in American football rules, he basically just starts updating the scoreboard to reflect the fact he scored points, and by the end of the episode, he's got, like, 1,500 points or something stupid. <laughs> it's ludicrous. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that is a, a particularly dumb thing in this episode. Meanwhile, Astro Trains trains now have brains. <laughs> and are... <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. And are scavenging around in tunnels to try and harness various types of electricity, water, and other power just to try and convert them to energon. But they're not very effective at it because they're just trains. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's... Yeah, that's... Uh, I mean, that, that just sums up this episode in, in a sentence, basically. <laughs> Power Glidon flies over the stadium and helps smoke screen and hoist to, to guide them through the maze. They end up finding Scrapper sitting on a literal throne of Autobot corpses. But Blitzwing enters the fray and wants to score more points, and so he just offs the Autobots, basically, and then he ends up finding Scrapper as well. Astro Train then has lots of Energon, but he stumbled into a problem where all of his trains inside a tunnel have somehow derailed on top of each other. <laughs> Another and, good day for Astro Train, really. Bad day at the office. And we see him trying to give them a very good pep talk to get them working again. 
before one of them then just hits a, a water main in the tunnel, causing a giant city-wide flood. The flood also ends up breaking into the location where Megatron and Starscream are frozen and trapped and unfreezing them. Starscream explains that the triple changes did this with the following dialogue exchange. Megatron saying in response, You're either lying or stupid. And Starscream just saying, I'm stupid! I'm stupid! <laughs> yeah, that is why I, I've already clipped the MP4 of that and used it on my Twitter feed because that is my favourite my favorite <laughs> thing. And I, I, will, I will use it frequently, I suspect. Prime, Ironhide and Spike are somehow now in the city. Sure, whatever. And they see Megatron and Starscream flying away. As Prime tries to plug the water main... It gets worse and now starts, like, sweeping Spike away and in turn just loose all across the city. Prime then finds, somehow, Spike under a bunch of rubble, whatever, and then transforms, somehow puts Spike in his front seat and... I'm going to read down what I've written. Revives Spike using his air conditioning fans. Yeah, and that, that's that's absolutely how that works. That's definitely that me- medically accurate. Right here. <laughs> oh, this episode, flipping heck. Uh, Spike ends up then being transferred into Power Glide. Yay. Next, we see Trailbreaker using his force field to literally move water away from him like he's Moses parting the Red Sea or something. <laughs> Prime and Ironhide then head into the tunnel where the burst water main is and seal it up without issue. Mainly because Ironhide manages to actually use some abilities, Andy, which we've not seen him do in quite a while. Yeah, yeah, he's been been taking a bit of a breather lately. Back at the stadium. Here we go. The Constructicons have finished building everything Blitzwing has asked, which apparently was 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 done in return for a partnership of leading the Decepticons. Blitzwing, in response, tells them to go build a bridge and jump off it. <laughs> Which I love that line. <laughs> this brings Devastator into play, uh, much to Blitzwing's worry. We then cut to somewhere else. I don't know where. Honestly, at this point, I kind of didn't care. I'll be quite frank. Where we get a meeting of sorts between Megatron with Starscream and Optimus Prime. Prime says he's looking for the leaders of the Decepticons, which Megatron's offended by, and Prime says that him and Starscream are just a nuisance, a couple of metallic mosquitoes. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I mean, this that is... Uh, well, I, I have a general feeling about this episode that I think it would have been better without any Autobots in it, but yeah. this is maybe the one exception of just like Optimus Prime just going to Megatron like... Have you seen the Decepticon leader? Like, <laughs> I'm the Decepticon. No, no, you're, you're not. You're just some guy. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Like the the, the, the sass and, and shade that Optimus Prime throws here is is quite delightful. Prime then heads out to find the Triple Changers, but Megatron is in hot pursuit, as quite frankly at this point he wants them to. When they arrive at the stadium, water breaks through because Trailbreaker's force field has pushed the entire citywide flood of water into the stadium. Astro Train also randomly appears at this point. <laughs> Blitzwing wants help from his partner, Astro Train, but turns on him. 
the plan is seemingly to have a Decepticon leader war start here at this point. We see all sorts of fighting happening between various Decepticons, ultimately leading to a giant firefight and blaming each other for what is happening. Somehow, Megatron is the only one left standing, makes it clear to everyone that the cause, the Decepticon cause, always outweighs personal gain, but he will always be leader. And at this point, randomly, those like three or four Autobots that had been converted into a throne, Andy, and flattened and destroyed, they're just fine. And the episode ends. Yep. That's that's it. And 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 uh, isn't it? Do, uh, do I recall incorrectly that there's some intimation of like uh, they offer Optimus Prime? Do you want to sit on the Autobot throne? And he's just like, Nah, I'm good. <laughs> they did do a joke about that, and I was just, I think at this point, I was just like, What have I just watched? Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much. I mean, the the only bit that I like about about kind of the closing of this is is when Megatron turns up and literally knocks. I think it's Astro Training Blitz when he literally knocks their heads together, <laughs> just like <laughs> knock it off. But uh, yeah, that's that that was an episode. It was a train wreck, Andy. <laughs> well, it was for Astro Training. Fair point. Yeah, th- this episode it it was. There were fun moments and some quite spectacular moments in the context of it being a Transformers episode. But just overall, this was a mess. Yeah, I, I don't really understand. I, I mean, again, it's a really curious one in terms of how this episode was kind of written and came about. Because, as we mentioned, like has a good idea to start with. And I feel like, again take the Autobots out of this and you could have a really strong like Decepticon Civil War story of just you know you've got a few people vying to be leader everybody picks their side it all turns into a big old mess and then Megatron comes back and you could do a really good episode of that and not even get Peter Cullen out of bed to voice Optimus Prime Um, and I don't understand why it went the direction that it did Astro Train's thing just felt really shoehorned in as if they had no idea what to do with him as a mm. character like blitzwing stuff was fine i mean questionable decision making in terms of just like trying to throw devastate the constructor guns under the bus and being like oh now you're devastator oops um but you know i mean i i guess you know if you're hiring an american football coach as your as your like strategist that's gonna happen um, and then the end of it, yeah, it just kind of feels really sort of messy and thrown together on top of all of that. So, yeah, maybe the weakest episode we've had of this season. Like, you know, again, like you say, it has some moments and I appreciate some of what it's throwing down here. But ooh, a lot of it really doesn't hit and it just feels very kind of incoherent. It feels, yeah. ironically, given the title, it feels like three different stories that should all have been separate episodes. Yeah. In terms of trivia notes, there are definitely some notes on the, on the TF wiki, but the only thing that I find... I'm just, final score, Andy, Visitors 0, Blitzwing 1,569. Yeah. That's like nice. the one trivia note I'm going to say, because th- there isn't anything else trivial if that makes sense about it not nothing to do with the writing like i mean in fairness who did write this episode <laughs> i want to make yeah do you know i don't want to know because i'll be scared every time i see their name pop up <laughs> but uh yeah i'm gonna go so far as to say i think that is the worst episode of transformers we've we've covered yeah yeah i i think i mean you know because 
as much as we sort of like were wary of like yeah Decepticon Raiders in King Arthur's Court and stuff that turned out to be a really fun episode and it kind of hung it together for the most part like yes some of it was super dumb but it it worked this didn't really hold any of its stuff together because the other way of looking at at this is you know I, I think about all the good serious Decepticon Civil War episode you could have you could have gone all in on just being super goofy and every every Decepticon having like five minutes as leader and doing something really moronic and stupid and have a lot of fun with that but this sort of it doesn't really get either angle right it doesn't do any of the, the, the kind of quote-unquote serious stuff right but it doesn't do a lot of the comedy stuff right beyond some good kind of moments that are well written either and so no matter which angle you come at this episode from, you kind of end up not feeling satisfied because it doesn't do what you want it to. Yeah, which which is a shame because, like we talked about in that first segment of the episode, the setup was really intriguing. It's, oh yeah, talk about like, I mean, it's not Cliff Jumper, but man, something fell off a cliff on this episode. Yeah. And that is going to do it for this episode, everybody. All these episodes, I should say. It's been quite the wild ride, to say the least. And uh, in terms of what is coming up next, a little bit of a change to the schedule because we're in essence going to take a week off, but we're still going to be bringing you something because everybody, next week on the podcast, it will be a bonus episode of sorts. Now, we should probably prime this, no pun intended, Andy, by saying that it's good, it's a bit different to what we might normally do because we wanted to do a bit of an experiment, as it were, when it came to potentially some more video-focused material. And the way it's going to work out is I have got the the UK Season 2 Part 1 DVD box set. And what we decided to do was have a look through some of the extras on there and such. So we end up, we end up going through, I think it's a quiz. We look at some of the video features on there, like an unedited mistake reel. And even like some, some old like Autobot catalog Autobot catalogs, Transformers catalogs of toys and such. It's a fun little sort of deep dive into some of the extras and some really old school fun Transformers stuff. It's primarily a video feature, to describe it in that way. It's roughly about an hour long or so. In terms of audio listeners, because a heck of a lot of it is very visual, we're probably just going to make it like a a 15 to 20 minute audio snippet of that. And that will very much be like the quiz part of it, because that's more something we can literally talk about, Andy, quite frankly. But, But it's a fun little extra for a bonus, and we thought that would be a nice way to tie people over for a week. Yeah, yeah, it was it was interesting to look through some of that stuff. Um, I'm I'm always a sucker for looking at the old Transformers catalogs and reliving my childhood trauma of all the toys that I couldn't <laughs> get. So you know that's that's always a, a, a fun time. I uh, sidebar, but I ended up stumbling on like um, a YouTube video of like the UK Transformers commercials. Um, oh really? Literally, literally yesterday, which included one where they name check Soundwave as the Decepticon commander. Oh. Um, so somebody clearly didn't read the entire brief for that advert. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, those those are always always a fun time as well. Yeah, so that's going to be available next week. And we'll post the links as normal and such on our Twitter and Instagram and such. And of course, on our YouTube channel if you are watching the video version. So if you want something a bit different to, to take up about an hour or so of your day, we have got you covered next week. But then on the next proper episode of the podcast that being our 15th episode Andy at this point which in itself is insane to say out loud we will be covering episodes 37 to 40 
And the four episodes that we'll be covering the week after next will be as follows. Sea Change. Hoist Goes Hollywood. And The Key to Vector Sigma, Part 1 and 2. I am looking forward to that two-parter, Andy. I mean, I'm looking forward to Hoist Goes Hollywood, but you, know, <laughs> you, you do you. Um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's definitely... I'm, I'm curious to see Hoist Goes Hollywood... To, like legitimately because i feel like that's one of those episodes that gets name checked relatively often in like transformers fandom um i remember like i think it's the masterpiece transformers hoist they put in some some extra bits that are all callbacks to that episode oh, cool. and i've never seen it and and i had the hoist toy as a kid so you know i'm, I'm here for some hoist um, I am I am very excited to watch Vector Sigma because I definitely I rented that VHS multiple times, but I feel like in my head, if you asked me to say what happened in the key to Vector Sigma right now, I couldn't tell you anything. I think Alpha Trion's in it again. That's about all I can recall. So I'm really interested, like how much of it comes back to me when I actually sit down and watch these episodes. Because I remember thinking it was really cool at the time, but maybe it'll be like an a, a, an inverse of the girl who loved Power Glide and be like, oh, that was terrible. Why did I like that as a kid? So we <laughs> shall see. Yeah, the only thing I can remember about Key to Vector Sigma is that it's very Cybertron focused, from what I it recall. It is, yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm all about them being more Cybertron related action, to say the least. And on that note, everybody, we are going to wrap up for today. Thank you very much for listening and or watching. Once again, if you want to find us on Twitter and Instagram, you can find our account at StarScreamsPod. And of course, if you want to drop us an email, StarScreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. And if you want to watch those episodes ahead of our next episode in two weeks at the time of releasing this one, the ones that we just mentioned, you can go to the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. And don't forget to come back next week here on our YouTube, and of course, in partly in audio form as well, for our little bonus episode. And it's a fun little quiz, Andy, as well, that we ended up imparting on, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. You can find out how much we actually know about what we're talking about. So <laughs> I won't spoil that for you. You can, you can see how we do. Any final notes you have before we wrap up today, Andy? Any other random things that you noticed or you wanted to impart on the world? No, no, I think I'm going to go and find a football coach to teach me how to do my job. <laughs> teach how to do zone defence? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Folks, thank you very much for tuning in today. Have a great week. We'll be back next week with our bonus episode and then the week after, normal service will resume. Talk to you soon and take care. Bye, everyone. <laughs>